Welcome to ITAD Talk and part two in this series. Here is your host, Jeff Bittner. In your bio, you mentioned uh, conscious capitalism. How do you feel about the debate between profits and social responsibility? I mean, I think I get back to the big picture. Um, and I think that if you are, like, like I think and you can look at some of the investment firms and people that have started to say, hey, we're only going to invest in companies that align with values. Um, and ultimately, we believe that will lead to long-term profits. And I, I kind of just describe, you know, to that kind of philosophy that if you do the right thing uh, over the long run, you're going to be better off. And I think that profits may be a, a short-term way to think potentially. Um, and profit, if we're only talking about the amount of money that you make in a, in a specified period of time, you, you're probably going to forego that for uh, on the responsibility side. There's always a way to maximize more money. There always is. Yeah, and then the question to you becomes, you know, like how how far are you willing to go on that? Um, so I, I think the debate is a healthy one. And I think it's one that we all engage in all the time because there's because on the other side of it is there's always something more we could do. There's always something we could do to be more responsible. Right. And so I, I like it, it's something that uh, and Morris and I spend time talking about this. This is something that there's not a right answer. There's not a wrong answer, and there's not a black and white. And maybe in some cases there are. Um, but it's all shade and, and how do you be responsible and what's reasonable responsibility. Um, and we, we actually spend time talking with some of our customers around this concept of responsibility and this concept that, uh, you know, where, where are you going to go? How far along are you going to pass that on or that assumption of responsibility? Because ultimately somebody else ends up being responsible to some aspect of things, and especially in ITAT. And at some point you're passing along that responsibility um, well, and I feel like I'm probably talking around a little bit. Well, I mean, it as, is a, it's a, as far as that goes, though. I mean, since uh, we're you know you and I, I think you're um, an R2 certified uh, company as well, correct? Correct. Yeah. So a, a little bit of that comes into play with the R2 when you're doing your downline audits uh, for the uh, you know as you're passing different products through to different uh, vendors and you have to audit audit the trail. And uh, I mean, like just as a couple of examples uh, from the ITAD summit uh, a few weeks ago, they had a uh, one of the executives, the IT executives at Starbucks was speaking and they're talking about the circular e the circular economy and he mentioned that you know they're looking at uh the kind of trucks that pick up the it assets are they are they gas diesel and electric so and then and they want all the uh all the assets tracked in transit and that brought up another point there was uh, one of the uh, ITED companies that was talking about engaging partners in the partner network internationally and um that that also needs to be tracked with the gps because they had vetted uh one uh, company that they were using, and it turned out that when they started tracking the material, uh, the company was lying about where it was going. So they had to stop it in transit, and then actually go and go and pick the stuff up from from the vendor. So, yeah, that's funny. I remember that story. That was a good. I mean, it's it, it drives that point home. And you know, you know, you can, and that's where I think you have to follow that. Uh, I think it's a military phrase: trust but verify. Right. So there's these little trust that you have within there, but you got to verify and you got to validate. Um, and, and it's not easy in some ways. I mean, at, at some point you start to lose, uh, you can only take it so far. Right. Um, it, it, you can do the best diligence. And, and I think that's what the responsibility of, you, you know, your company, my company and everybody at these organizations is, you know, how far can you do it and, and exhaust that in a reasonable way? 
you know, like, I, I mean, you know, you can, and we've had customers, you know, drop in uh, tracking devices that we find, you know, and, and again, I think it's great. Uh, and it just happened the, uh, maybe, God, maybe three weeks ago, a month ago, as we're uh, going through the customer uh, shipment that had arrived and been securely shipped from uh, across the country, basically, we found some tracking devices. I'm like, oh, that's pretty ingenious because mm. now they, they may trust us, but they're verifying for themselves that, mm. that it actually showed up at our facility. They're verifying that we, you know, represented what we, you know, that we're executing what we represented. And I think, you know, again, this kind of stealth view of it's great. You know, did they send a private investigator following in a, you know, <laughs> a, a, a chopper all the way across? No, like that, that makes it starts to get a little bit extreme. And so but you've got to do those things, especially when the, the like back to your point, the friction is so low to do it. Right. And um, you had also mentioned uh, uh, controlled chaos in your bio. So how do you see this concept as applying to uh, business? Yeah, so I think it's really, and this gets back to people development and how good your company becomes ultimately is a function of the, of the great team. And so it's how do you allow people and empower them to have a lot of freedom and to try things that you know, may fly in the face of convention, uh, may, may not seem on paper to be rational, may not to be that, but put up constraints. So it can't be that, you know, it can't be catastrophic and it can't be overly detrimental. So as an example, at our place, if, if, if these are the things, like we're, we're going to have a constraint in there on, um, uh, uh, pick, a, pick an example of like, if we want to change the way we're, um, I'll give a great example. If we want to, Hey, there's ways that we think we can improve the data erasure. Okay. What are the different ways? Hey, you run our, um, you run our technical operations experiment, do whatever you want, but have a backup, have a redundancy that ensures that, Hey, even if you go out and you experiment with these things, and I'll give a, a little example, you know, that you have a backup. And so it's, Hey, you want to try a new, uh, a new uh, method of data erasure. That's great. Uh, you know, that we've got to continue to innovate, use this company, but then how are you going to go back and audit the drives again and ensure it worked to, to the standards of which we've committed? Um, and that would be a great example of it. And then, you know, now, okay, great. We want to improve the ability to uh, capture data from these devices. We're going to go try it this way. Oh, that didn't work. Let's now, like, you've got this, you know, uh, you've maybe got three extra days of work to go back. Now you got to, like, take everything and redo mm -hmm. it the old way. Right. But at the same time, like, that's how you get better. That's how like right. things, that's how innovation happens is giving people the freedom for that. And that's ultimately how then they start to, I think, criti think critically themselves and continue to drive improvement. Um, and so there's a, there's a safety net there. Um, so that's why I call it controlled chaos. Go, go drive, you know, do things all over the place. And even as long as, even if it seems out of control or it seems uncontrolled, mm. as long as you have another control, like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, be almost like, you know, like, if you lived on a big ranch and you want to turn your dogs loose, like ultimately there's a fence out there. They may not get to it because oh, they, they, they have this freedom to roam, but if they get to it, then they know they've gone too far. Right. So is, is that um, like, are you guys working on lean too? Um, or, or do you kind of, do you think that falls with, within lean or? So I'm not a lean expert. Um, and you're talking about like lean six Sigma. Correct. And just the structure of yeah, management. I'm not an expert. We have a couple of people on our team that uh, have taken classes and, and are doing things. So um, if that sounds like it, then I guess, 
<laughs> well, but it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's sort of a variation. I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, pieces to it, but I mean, you basically want to extract waste from every part of the process, whether it's even walking across the room because the trash can's 35 feet away. I mean, just really small things. And I mean, like you're, let's say you've got a, you know, you notice there's oil uh, in the warehouse in one spot often, and and so you keep. Uh, mopping that up, but it turns out it's because your forklift has a leak. So you fix fix the leak in the forklift. Now you don't have to clean up the spill every day, right? <laughs> so it's just a it's really just a, a lot of small pieces that uh, go into making your company a better operation. So yeah, no, I mean, I guess when you say it that way, that's we work on those things. I don't think uh, and we have two people that are uh, you know undergoing some of that those classes and things, but that is a uh, I guess I would say that's a philosophy that we, that we ascribe to and that we talk about all the time. And it's like, why do, and, and to me, it gets back to really this questioning. So maybe this is the sales uh, background in me. It's like, why do we do it that way? You know, what are our other options? Like, what do other people do? Why do they do it that way? How do they do it? And, uh, you know, you never, it's, you know, even if, even if you guys talked about it, even if I get, we talked about it a year ago, but maybe something's changed in that year. Um, I, I was out actually working in the, I was actually helping one of our uh, teammates in the warehouse on last Friday um, and they hate when I do it, so to speak, I think, because <laughs> we were out there, we were literally doing, you know, the, the, the most fundamental job in there. And he's, and I'm asking questions like, I could get this done a lot faster if you weren't helping. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I get that, but you know, I, I want to understand and why do we do it that way? And why don't we do it this way? And he's like, well, then if we do it this way, here's the other problem. And then, um, you know, we don't know that we missed capturing this piece of information. I'm like, okay, I, I understand that. That's a good answer. I, I'm just not going to stop asking. And if I sound like a three-year-old, I apologize. Yep. That's always good to um, definitely check, check the process out. So what is a, a rebel mindset? Uh, a rebel mindset to me is just, uh, again, being able being not afraid to go against convention. So just because everybody else is doing it this way, you know, is that the right way? Is it, is there, is it okay? And, and it's okay to stand out. It's okay to be a, a different, it's okay not to be like everybody else. Um, and I think this is one where a lot of times fundamental human behavior is, Hey, if everybody like, well, if everybody's doing it that way, that must be the good way to do it. Um, and sometimes you got to stop yourself and say, well, they may just be doing it out of, you know, out of experience and maybe doing it out of uh, habit. They may be doing it for other reasons. And, you know, you need people on your team. You need to be this way yourself a little bit. Uh, no, you know what? I'm going to do it this way. I'm okay doing it this way. I'm okay trying that. Um, and so I think it really ties back into that controlled chaos as well. But be okay with being a misfit. Be okay with doing it differently. And then let the results speak for themselves. Um, so it's, you know, as you think about it, I think back, I, I, I think a lot of times of, of like different sports analogies. And if you look at, you know, the great sports teams in many cases, a lot of times there's like this rebel philosophy. They're doing something different. When Bill Belichick goes for it on fourth and two um, against the Colts and everybody tells him what a bad idea it is, like this, the math says it. And, and like, I think you, you probably, there's even books out on this one now, of like how often you should be going for it on fourth down. Mm. Uh, and, but, but because, you know, there's a many armchair quarterbacks and there's the media, they say, oh, that's a bad idea. You got to, you got to play, you know, but the math says you should do it. So why aren't more people doing it? I think it's the same reason you see a lot of success in, in different sports teams where they've said, you know what, we're like, 
this is kind of the accepted wisdom. We're going to go do something the opposite. And then pretty soon you see the shift. You see the shift of other teams starting to do it because it works for a while. Um, you know, when you're doing something that other people aren't doing, that's typically when you can, you know, find a new market, um, mm-hmm. you know, develop something new, um, create a new industry. Um, so that's, that, that's like fundamental um, to me um, and just something I, you know, I, I ascribe to and believe in. So, so that kind of leads into my next question. How can we as business leaders in an environmentally influential industry help to shape the future of sustainable business? So I think, I mean, that's multi-part answer question or multi, um, and, and the, I'll talk about a couple things. So one is, you know, and, and this may not totally tie into it, but if you, uh, the legislation on right to repair, um, like that's been under, that's been going on for gosh, at least the last decade that I've been involved in third party maintenance and data center services. Um, and you know, if you think about just that on the sustainability side, we have all sorts of devices. We have all sorts of goods that aren't, that aren't being repaired. Um, and you know, we have to, in some cases, take it to, you know, legislatively and band together as a group, form an organization. I know that, um, there's a, uh, a gentleman that I've worked with over the years, Todd Bone from XSI, who, you know, has been very fundamental in that right to repair. And, and it gets exciting when you start to see legislative action, when it goes before the uh, the House in the state of New York, or when uh, Joe Biden, uh, and I, think, and the, I don't follow politics well enough, probably, but I think he signed like an executive order, you know, going down that road, which is basically gives farmers the right to repair their John Deere tractor mm. they're locked out of the software. They can't wow. make repairs they've made for 40 years. Wow. You know, like now all of a sudden, you know, it's the same thing with, um, you know, certain networking devices that you're probably familiar right. with where yeah. the manufacturer locks it down. And guess what happens? You got to shred it. You got to recycle the materials where, hey, guess what? It has five years of useful life left. It could go into school. It could, it could go be a backup um, instead of uh, forcing every Staples office location to buy a backup router. This could be the backup. Um, you know, like it, it doesn't need, need to meet the same criteria necessarily, but we get locked out of those things under this right to repair. Um, you know, it's no different from, you know, your Tesla. I just saw a great article of, hey, they charge $15,000 for this uh, repair. It's really a $5,000 repair, but no one else is going to be allowed to do it because mm-hmm. you, you don't have the codes to go into the software and tell it, hey, guess what? I've replaced the battery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. It, it, um, so, like, that's what it helps us make us more sustainable when we reuse things. And so that's one example. I, and as business leaders, there's so many ways you can get involved. There's so many things you can do, and you just got to kind of pick. Hey, maybe you want to be really involved on the environmental side and, and helping, uh, you know, and I apologize if I'm off. I think there's 28 states with uh, e-waste laws. Well, what about the other ones? I mean, that's a little bit more than half. Like, why don't we have federal legislation? Why don't we have that? And maybe you're not into the government side of things and you want to get involved in other ways. Well, guess what? You can go, you can go work with students. Uh, we, we worked with uh, the uh, sustainability and marketing group over at ASU. And, uh, you know, they came back. We, had, uh, we did like a, a senior project with them where they had a group projects and they came back into our business and made suggestions on how to make it more responsible how to make it more environmentally responsible. And some of the things are, you know, just the stuff you, you, you probably teach your kids about not wasting things and, and reusing things and, and recycling things. And so some of that, like, I mean, I think we can do it at an individual level. We can do it at a collective level. And as long as we keep fostering, I think the, the conversation and the interest in uh, younger people, especially 
Like it's just setting the, the setting the foundation and the opportunity for them all to go make you know you know twenty little differences individually and and a number of large differences that are just going to go multiply over the years. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, the right to repair and some of those issues that are going on right now in Washington because uh, one of my in- interviews is with Billy Johnson of of Isri, and uh, so that that'll be coming out, uh, I think, in about a week and a half or so. So, but he he mentions a lot of the things that they're trying to tackle at at the at the federal level. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it's, again, I, I it maybe moves a little too slow for me, and I don't have the patience for it, but. Uh, so I, well, for you, some of the government you, stuff, you, we all need it. Like, where can you make an impact? Who do you know? What do you like to do? And then go make some impacts. Well, it's really funny what Billy said, because he said that, um, you know, being a member of ISRI, that you're allowed to, I mean, you've got the ability to help shape some of these laws that are coming out. And he said in Washington, there's a saying that you're either at the table or you're on the menu so because like stuff gets passed and then all of a sudden we see it in a document and we're like oh now we have to do this or that so if you have the ability to help kind of shape those things as they're coming then uh, you can make it uh, more so that fits you know fits real world application too right so yeah it's, uh, I was uh, on the board of the Arizona Technology Council and it's the same thing it's it's how do we propel um Technology, especially in the state of Arizona, through legislation um, and through uh, and 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 then also on the education side. So we want to educate the young uh, and, and the curriculum of high schools, grade schools, colleges to turn out better uh, tech workers and, and make Arizona a more attractive place. And then, likewise, it's working with legislators, both at the state and national level, senators, uh, members of Congress, to you know to bring perspective of laws and feedback on what would be beneficial for business and what would be detrimental for business. Nice. That's good. Well, I, I think that's all the questions that I had. Um, do you have anything else that you wanted to add or anything that you, th- you think we left out that, uh, you know, is anything that you might, might want to mention? Um, I mean, I've enjoyed the conversation. I think we've been, you know, all over the place a little bit. I mean, the only thing is just really coming back to the last thing you asked, you, you, you talked about is, you know, as industry leaders, um, as part of the industry and, and just what things that we can do personally and professionally, like it's incumbent on all of us to help, you know, make this better and make both the industry better. Um, but really, and again, maybe this is more just uh, personal side of it, but you know, what are the things that we can do to demand to help make it more sustainable long-term and I mean, it just, it's getting crazy with the amount of uh, electronics that are being produced. And, you know, like there's so much life in these things. There's so much more we can do. And we need to be encouraging innovation and helping the stigma of, uh, I'll call it used equipment, uh, go away. But if you look at the boards, the chips, the processors, the RAM, I mean, you, you can start to put these things into so many applications and you can build things. And, and, and as a manufacturer or as a technology innovator, you could be building your products for, you know, 25, 25% of what you're paying now. Or, you know, like, what is the actual functional use of the products you're building? And, and then what's the best way to go build that? And so I think as you get, you know, and you talked about um, Bo from Starbucks talking about the circular economy, I think there's going to be some real innovations over the years. And I've just been blown away by students and uh, young individuals who come up with 
so many more innovative ways and think about it with less stigma and just have a different view than, than, than that I grew up with. And I know that different than my parents grew up with. Yeah. Um, it, and so you know, I was just going to add that, uh, that, uh, uh, on the, on the memory side that you're mentioning how the chips have, you know, so many different uses that come out of these boards and everything. And about probably two decades ago, I was buying uh, direct from one of the uh, memory manufacturers and, they would have parts that, um, for just a slight reason, wouldn't meet their their highest spec. And we would buy those and then send them out and have them tested. And then we ended up with all these uh, parts that were three-quarter good, half good, and so on, that we were about to uh, to discard. And then um, one of these uh, contract manufacturers that we were using said, hey, I've, I've got boards for that. And you know they engineered some boards, and we were able to take the memory chips that were three-quarters good, half good, and make functional modules and then of course do all the, the testing on them and everything but it's just interesting how when you kind of climb into this area there there is uh, you know a, a lot of ways to extend life on on these electronic parts yeah no i think it's amazing i haven't heard that one but that's great i mean and and, and again like there's opportunities for so many entrepreneurs out there to do those things and that's the disruption that starts to happen and you know uh, it's there's 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 functional uses for that and there's business cases for it. And so, you know, I, I'm just excited that, you know, I think I think we get to be better and better. And, and the more it hits the mainstream media, the more the people talk about it, the more uh, the more accepted it is. And then, you know, by default, like the more innovative um, actions that come behind it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, so, Aaron, I, I just really want to thank you for uh, being our, our guest uh, this afternoon on ITAD Talk. And uh, once again, Aaron Zepper is uh, CEO of DMD Systems Recovery out of Tempe, Arizona. I appreciate it. And thank you, Jeff, and the rest of the team. Okay. Together. Thank you. And don't forget, the best way to support ITAD content is to rate and like the show on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you might listen.